live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports on 95.7. The game. Come on! Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Stephen Langford in with you. Hope you had a terrific weekend. Felt weird. Felt very strange not having a an actual football Sunday to talk about. But we do have other things to get into, and I actually do want to talk uh, a little bit about the Pro Bowl in this first segment. And I'm not going to try and convince you that the Pro Bowl is a good game, because it is not. But I do think there's something, uh, kind of the narrative around the Pro Bowl that I do want to do want to get into. Plus, Max Scherzer speaks out against baseball. I want to get into his comments, because he went off on Twitter last week. Stephen A. Smith and Kevin Durant are getting into it again. And this time, Stephen A. brought the Warriors into it. We got a lot to get to today. But first off, and this just popped across my timeline, and this is something that I just I have to mention, because we always talk about cheating in sports and gamesmanship. Well, there's something that I saw from yesterday, and no, I'm not going to act like I watched every single minute of the Africa Cup of Nations, although Senegal and Egypt, both very good teams. Now, within soccer, if you don't know this, each, uh, everywhere in the world is kind of separated with its little, with its own divisions, essentially. And they have tournaments, international tournaments within, within those divisions. So you have, you know, the CONCACAF with North America and South America, for example. But there's also the Africa Cup of Nations, where the African teams all participate in the tournament. Senegal and Egypt were involved, and they were in the final. It was 0-0 at the end of the game. They went to extra time. Nobody scored an extra time, so it goes all the way to penalties. Senegal wins in penalties 4-2. But it's not that that I want to talk about. The thing that just popped across my timeline was the Egyptian goalkeeper left his water bottle. If you if you haven't watched a soccer game before, the goalkeepers they have their own water bottles right at the goal. They, you know, they pretty much drink it whenever there's no action going on just so they could stay hydrated. And the Egyptian goalkeeper left his water bottle next to the goal post. Somebody went to go pick it up and they took a video all over the water bottle are little graphs of each player and how they take penalty shots. So, so normally, these goalkeepers, they have enough time in between each shot to take a sip of water because, you know, each team goes and, you know, the, each goalkeeper gets one chance and then they get a break and then they get another. So every time that a player was coming up, he saw what each player's tendencies were when it comes to penalty shots. Now, again, Egypt lost four to two. But I thought I looked at that. and I was like, damn, damn, that's smart. <laughs> That's smart. Putting a map. It's like cheating on a test in high school or college, if you ever did that. You know, you 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 try and come up with innovative ways to do it. Whether it's putting small, a really small font on a note card and writing out the answers. Or, you know, keeping it on your chair and, and, and you, you tape it to your chair. And I'm not trying to teach people how to do this. But I saw that and I was like, damn. You know, it's probably not right. Probably not right, but 
I get it. I get it. You got to respect it. You got to respect the hustle there from the Egyptian goalkeeper. Just had to mention that. Just had to mention that. Saw that come across my timeline on Twitter, and I had to mention it. Now, the Pro Bowl. Of course we know the Pro Bowl. The game itself is a sham, right? It's very hard to have a... Let's let's face it. It's it's really not the NFL's fault. It really isn't. It's hard to have an all-star game with a sport like football, where a large chunk of it is being physical, being violent. If the more physical, if the if the, if the if one of the teams is more physical, that team is more likely to win. Well, nobody wants to get physical in an in an all star game. It's an all star game. You're trying to celebrate the season. So I understand all that. The if you if you care, the AFC won forty one to thirty five. There you go. I think it's like the eighth straight time that they've won it. So. Everything about the Pro Bowl stinks as far as on the field. And I mentioned this last week on Friday, but the fact that the skills challenge wasn't promoted the way that it should have been, I mean, that's actually kind of cool. You know, they got guys making the best catch. They had a race. I think it was Mika Parsons and Trayvon Diggs and then Tyreek Hill on the other side. Normally, Tyreek Hill would win in that sort of race, but Micah Parsons was taking it very seriously, took his shirt off and everything, and ended up winning. So it's those little things where you're just thinking, all right, whatever. But the skills challenge is still something that's pretty cool. Hell, the NHL had their skills challenge on Friday along with their All-Star game, and there was that rookie who put on the average Joe's uniform from Dodgeball, blindfolded himself, just like uh, just like Peter LaFleur at the end of the movie, and then scored a goal off of it, an unreal goal off of it. I mean, it was it was one of the cooler moments there. But the skills challenge you have something because you can't you can't make a Pro Bowl game good, not with the sport like football. And, and and hockey, it's sort of the same thing. With baseball, baseball, it's it's kind of fun to watch because you are getting the best of the best. And no, they're not throwing ninety seven consistently. But it feels like when those some of those guys that do go out there, when they get on the mound and they get their inning or inning and a half, whatever it is, they at least try. So the baseball all star game is a little different. You can't really do anything with the NFL uh, with the NFL all-star type of game with a Pro Bowl game. Can't really make that exciting. But I do think and I'm I'm guilty of this too. I'm not call I'm not trying to call out everybody and say I'm the only person who has this take. Uh but cuz so I'm including myself in this, but I was thinking about it on the way in. Um Oh, it's fifth in a row. Shout out to you, nine two five. See, that's how much I pay attention to the Pro Bowl. Fifth in a row. I was actually thinking about Russell Wilson in his eighth Pro Bowl of his career, and I was going to bring it into this conversation. But I think it is weird how all of us, again, including myself, I'm not calling everybody out. I know that tends to people tend to mishear that type of thing, but it feels weird that we just dismiss a Pro Bowl selection like it doesn't mean anything. Like, Max Crosby, for example, just won the MVP for the AFC, and I'm sure everyone's going to say, well, he shouldn't have won it. Uh, He won defensive MVP for the AFC, I should say. And I didn't even watch the game, but I'm sure some people are going to say, well, they're in Vegas. They want to give their home crowd, the, uh, the, their local guy, the award. And I, and I get that, but Max Crosby, from where he was, he was in rehab a couple of years ago, and now he made the Pro Bowl. He was very emotional about it. 
it's just strange to me how we're so quick to dismiss the Pro Bowl like it's not an accomplishment. I get it. Within within the NBA, for example, there's the All-NBA team. And within the NFL, there's the All-Pro teams. Totally understand that. And, and the All-Pro really is the best of the best. But the Pro Bowl is still something. <laughs> right away, it's just, oh, he made the Pro Bowl? Who cares? He probably wasn't even that good. That's not true. If you look down the list, the, the the roster of these guys, I know Mac Jones versus Russ from the 925, that's rigged. But it, those guys are still pretty good among the NFL. It's just so weird to me that we, and, and again, including myself, that we just think, oh, he made the Pro Bowl? Doesn't matter. Now I get it when you're talking about guys like the now-retired Tom Brady, or even Russell Wilson, who's made it to uh, eight Pro Bowls in his career. But some of these guys, they might not see the Pro Bowl again. And so if you're, you know, face-to-face with one of these athletes and they tell you, hey, I made the Pro Bowl, what are you going to say? Doesn't matter to me. Make an all-pro team. (laughs) Make an all-pro team. Doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl, you think you accomplished something making the Pro Bowl? (laughs) I dare you to say that in front of one of their faces. Because it does mean something to some of these guys. And and, and us us as fans, we're just like, I don't care. Pro Bowl, whatever. Everyone makes the Pro Bowl. It's not true. Not everyone makes the Pro Bowl. I mean, there are a lot of players in the NFL. (laughs) There are a lot of them. Making the Pro Bowl is still something. And I get it. The game doesn't matter, so who cares? And I I don't know uh, what's going to happen with Alvin Kamara because he was arrested on a battery charge uh, for wrestling somebody at a nightclub in Vegas. So uh, Vegas in their first couple of years so far with a football team, uh, it's not looking too good uh, for that area right now just because of the stuff that's happened with Josh Jacobs, obviously Henry Ruggs, Nate Hobbs at the end of the season after that Colts game. And now you're seeing this stuff with uh, Kamara. It's not good, but again, we have to we have to wait to see more details here because those are only the reports as of right now. We don't want to come to any conclusions. But I don't want to take anything away from a player if they make a Pro Bowl. You make a Pro Bowl, great. And I think that we can look at those Pro Bowl rosters, and sometimes we might learn something. For example, Deion Dawkins from the Buffalo Bills, offensive lineman. You probably haven't heard of him because he's an offensive lineman, and that's just how it goes with football. But dude's a good player. That's just one little example. I don't know. I'm ranting on the Pro Bowl. I get it. But it just feels like whenever we mention, oh, he made it to the Pro Bowl, we just don't care. I mean, think about how cool that is for Lakin Tomlinson, for example. Lakin Tomlinson, who nobody really had any expectations for. He was traded for to get to this team. They wanted to put him in a guard position because it was a position of need. And this year... We haven't really talked about Lakin Tomlinson at all. And the reason we haven't is because he's been very good this season. One of the only offensive linemen we actually talk about on the radio is Trent Williams. And that's just because Trent Trent Williams does some unreal things for an offensive lineman. I I don't know, man. I'm just thinking it's kind of a disrespect to some of these guys if we're just going to say as fans, oh, you made the Pro Bowl? The matter. Uh, But there is one piece of sound that I want to play from the Pro Bowl game. Now, You've heard me play A.J. Cole before. A.J. Cole, Raiders punter. The game after he got a forced fumble on a tackle on a a punt return, he had the post-game interview and went on for like two minutes 
and parlayed that answer into a conversation about how him and Daniel Carlson and and, and the uh, and the long snapper Trent, whose last name is escaping me right now, would get into conversations about who would win in a fight. So AJ Cole was interviewed at halftime, and I mean, <laughs> punters in the Pro Bowl. I mean, they got to be there. Somebody's got to do it, but he didn't really have much of a job. AJ, we were just kind of wondering, since there's not a lot of punting been going on in this game, like what have you and Brian Anger been doing all, all afternoon? Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's been a great first couple of quarters. Probably my favorite stat line I've ever had. Got zero punts, three holds, two halftime hot dogs. So uh, really enjoying the game so far. It's been a lot of fun watching everybody. And uh, I'm just here for moral support, basically. Just passing out water and high fives, and I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> and then here's the second part. How did you get your uniform dirty? You haven't done anything. I'm out there holding that pretty much the answer so that's where the grass stain came from did you get well you gotta like kind of really rub it in a little bit that way the other guys (laughs) in the team know you really are out on the field so otherwise it kind of goes under the radar so you know i just want everybody to know you know i was out on the field i don't have a whole lot of proof of it but i'm not in the stat sheet per se but i was out there scrapping with everybody else did you get a heads up before the game that like look you're not gonna get a whole lot of action this week i did it's actually the first thing coach Vrabel said to me he said just so you know we're not gonna punt this week so don't get your hopes (laughs) up I said, telling me we're not going to punt is getting me my hopes up, so uh, you just flip the script there. Well, AJ, you made the Pro Bowl. Congratulations, darn it. (laughs) And that's the beautiful part about that sound. It gave us a drop. Congratulations, darn it. If anything, if anything, the Pro Bowl game wasn't good, but at least we got a Lisa Salter's drop. Congratulations, darn it. All right, coming up next... I want to talk about Nick Bosa because Joel Corey, who is a salary cap expert for CBS Sports, anytime he comes on, he has a very interesting job uh, within the NFL. He was a former agent, and now he writes uh, a, a lot of articles for CBS based on salary cap situations, something that there's way more intricacies to it than we know. So we always learn something from Joel, and he had something to say about Nick Bosa and his contract and why I think that's ramped the pressure up even more on Trey Lance within his rookie contract. So we'll get to that next. Stephen Langford and on the pregame show, 95.7 of the game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. I'm sure if I could just let this beat by MF Doom, Doomsday, if I could just let this play for the rest of the show, I'm sure some of you would like that just as much as whatever I got to say for the next 40 minutes. That's how good that beat is. Or maybe that's just how bad my content is. <laughs> All depends. But we got a lot coming up in the next 40 minutes. That's a hell of a way to promote myself. Uh, I want to talk some 49ers here because Joel Corey, who's a salary cap expert for CBS Sports, he was on with the Morning Roast with Bonte and Shasky on Friday, and he talked about Nick Bosa's contract. So I do want to do get into that. Max Scherzer. 
he went on Twitter and went on a little rant about baseball in their lockout. And I want to get to that and Kevin Durant and Stephen A. Smith with beef yet again. But this time, Stephen A. brought the Warriors into it. And my question is, why now? So we'll get to that later. But regarding the 49ers, from the 408, there were a couple of uh, there were a couple of moves made over the weekend as the 49ers did hire Anthony Lynn, former L.A. Chargers head coach, now San Francisco 49ers assistant head coach. Uh, I do think that's a good hire overall. He seems to be a pretty good leader of men. And whenever we're talking about the the Chargers and their fourth quarter struggles, their end of game struggles, turns out, it's it's actually funny the way that we, we the way that we processed it. At first, thought it was Philip Rivers, right? At first, we're like Philip Rivers can't win at the end of the game. Philip Rivers is going to have to drive downfield right at the end every single game in order to win. That's going to happen, and they're going to lose. They're probably going to cover the spread, but they're most likely going to lose. But then when Philip Rivers was gone, it was still happening with Anthony Lynn and Justin Herbert. The end-of-game struggles. You could select multiple games where they lost by one score, just as much as anybody in the NFL. But then when Anthony Lynn was gone, the Chargers still had trouble scoring in the fourth quarter, even with Brandon Staley as their head coach and Justin Herbert as the quarterback. So really... It's just the Chargers. That's the explanation. It doesn't take away, I think, from what Anthony Lynn did as a head coach. Uh, So he's the assistant head coach now, and I do wonder how those jobs are going to be delegated. I can't help but think of the office with Michael Scott, and you know he's the he's the uh, the he's the branch manager. Or the regional manager, and Dwight's the assistant to the regional manager. I couldn't get that out of my head. The assistant to the head coach. No, I'm the assistant head coach, not the assistant to the head coach. But I do like the hire, and I think Anthony Lynn will be good, and bringing in another voice is always a good thing, I think, with this team. Um, And one that you're not going to hear much from anymore is Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel, who is the offensive coordinator, formerly the run game coordinator, and... uh, Man, they were all with Washington, them being Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, and also Mike McDaniel was a part of that staff too back in 2012, back with the Washington Commanders, I guess is what we call them, where Alfred Morris ran for 1,600 yards and Robert uh, Griffin III had 850 yards rushing that season, and... Damn, it's just crazy to think that 10 years ago, four of the head coaches in the NFL were a part of that staff, and they were 10-6 and six that year. Uh, but Mike McDaniel, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, and I, I don't need an answer now. I mean, you could, you could weigh in at the Comcast Business Tax Line at 888-957-9570. Feel free. But I don't think a lot of people really knew who Mike McDaniel was. Now, we did on the pregame show. If you listen to this pregame show back in October, and I want to play this sound clip one more time because I don't think I'm really going to have any excuse to play it unless, you know, the 49ers and the Dolphins end up playing each other. I don't think I'm going to have any excuse to play this sound, so i got to get it out the way now. But when we first really... When, when Mike McDaniel first came to my attention... Because, you know, Kyle Shanahan is the guy who's uh, you know, calling the plays, and we always call him the you know the, the play designer, but Mike McDaniel had something to do with that as well. And I don't think a lot of people really did know that. Maybe you listening on the radio right now, because if you're listening to sports radio at 524 in the morning, 525, 
You're diehard. You're a diehard fan, so you've probably heard of them, but I'm talking about the more casual, the more regular fan who hasn't heard of him. I'm sure there's a lot. But back on his Thursday press conference before the Sunday night football game against the Packers, here was Mike McDaniel, and this is where he was on notice. For, he was put on notice for me. Mike McDaniel, just right at the beginning of his presser on the Thursday before the Sunday night football game. Game day yet? Uh, uh, I, I wish it was right now. We are, we've, uh, I can tell you this much, our entire team is ready to play football again. Um, we've had uh, about a month of sour taste in our mouths, so we're all pretty eager to get on the field and, and play play our way through this and um I, I desperately wish you guys would have told me it's sunday afternoon right now because it seems like a long time but it'll be here shortly you guys got around the ball and you have to um take your good players and block them to to the best of your ability <laughs> so oh man so that was what i first saw mike mcdaniel i mean it, it took till october I, you know, you, you, you'd hear him every now and then talk about Trey versus Jimmy, but he was kind of giving those generic type of answers. But his personality, it showed out in the press conferences, and now he's the Miami Dolphins' new head coach. I can't wait for that introductory presser. I guarantee you we'll have some sound from that. He'll be very interesting. And the reaction to him, I think, around the NFL, we saw it in the playoffs. We saw it when, finally, the national media was actually watching every single one of the 49ers pressers instead of just paying attention to what Kyle Shanahan had to say. Because as soon as January came around, that's when the, uh, that's when the popularity of Mike McDaniel started to grow. And then the reports about him possibly becoming a head coach. And then now he is the Dolphins head coach. Not taking over uh, an easy job. And the one thing that I, that I do hope for him is that it doesn't end up like the Dusty Baker situation in Houston. Because there's there's a chance that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross is going to have to answer for what happened with Brian Flores and the allegations against him. Just don't want it end up being in, in that type of situation that it was for Dusty Baker, where he had to sit up at the podium when the uh, Astros owner Jim Crane and... Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve, when they were all issuing their apologies, I'd rather I'd rather call them statements because they were they were not real apologies. I mean, they were all scripted and they were incredibly short. I remember being so frustrated by that. But Dusty Baker had to answer questions about the Astros when he wasn't a part of that team. I felt that was so unfair. And Mike McDaniel, I know what situation he's going into, but if you're on your way to being a head coach, these jobs are super rare. So take it when you can get it. And he interviewed for like 10 hours. So I mean, you spend 10 hours with somebody, you interview them, and you don't hire them. Woo! That wouldn't be good. But this man does not need to answer any questions for what's going on because he just doesn't know. He just doesn't know. Now the Niners, they receive two compensatory third-round picks. So the third-round pick that they initially had, well, they got an extra one now. So they're going to have a second rounder and two third rounders coming up. They also got three seventh rounders uh, in this draft. So it's going to be a packed one for the 49ers. And this draft, you know, these these future drafts here, they're going to be important. 
They're going to be important because of the contracts that have been given to the 49ers. Now, we're going to await, and I'm, 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 I really expect we'll get this news this week, but Debo Samuel is going to get a contract extension. What are those numbers going to look like? Well, time will tell. Very interested to see uh, what that's going to, what's going to happen there. But another guy who's waiting for his contract, as Fred Warner, George Kittle, Trent Williams, Alex Mack got a contract, Kyle Juszczyk. Guys like that who are staples on the, at their position for their team, who John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have built this team around. Well, the one guy that we're waiting on is Nick Bosa. And Joel Corey, who's a salary cap expert for CBS Sports. Trust me, anytime he's on, you learn something. And he is normally, he's very plugged in, and he's normally right about these things because he understands players' agents, their tendencies, how they handle uh, their players' contracts, and how much they get paid. Here's what Joel Corey had to say uh, about Nick Bosa and his future contract. Given that he's represented by Brian Iroh, who represents uh, Aaron Donald, who's first $20 million per year non-quarterback, and his older brother, Joey, who at one time was the highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL, that's an absolute certainty that Nick Bosa will be the first $30 million per year non-quarterback. So with that agent and that agent's history, the fact that Nick Bosa is his client, a certainty that he's going to be the first non-quarterback $30 million player? That's crazy. And then he continued and said, look, man, you can't dismiss a holdout. You can't dismiss it for a couple of reasons. One, does he really want to play another year on his rookie contract given that he missed the 2020 season? Good point. all of it with the torn ACL. Two, his agent has no qualms about holding somebody out. And in addition to the rookie holdout for his older brother, Aaron Donald held out after his third year. He didn't get a contract. Aaron Donald held out um, after his fourth year and finally got paid. So that puts pressure, I think, on the 49ers to avoid a holdout of that. Uh, of that. And there's another player that this impacts to me if you're going to give Nick Bosa this contract now. And that pressure, to me, is on the rookie quarterback. I'll explain that next. Stephen Langford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Good morning, everybody. Stephen Langford in with you. 95.7 The Game. 888-957-9570 is the phone number and the Comcast business text line if you want to join the show. Got about 22 minutes left here, and I'm open to anybody joining me on this Monday. Hope you had a terrific weekend. Now, I want to replay the sound that I went to break with, with Joel Corey, CBS Sports salary cap expert, former agent, who understands how contracts work when they're going to be giving possible uh, player transactions, all of that. Joel Corey understands it and he had something to say about Nick Bosa I want to play that sound again because I believe this puts pressure now uh, on the 49ers and not only the 49ers uh, but for Trey Lance to perform within his rookie deal but before I get to that I just got to say I already had it happen once and it was with John Curley love John Curley great guy (laughs) 
<laughs> and oh man, I really do. He's, he's he's the best. I mean, if you call into the morning show from six to nine for the morning roast for Bonte and Shasky, I mean, if you don't get on air, at least you get the wonderful voice of John Curley who can brighten up your morning. I mean, that man is so happy to talk to callers. Anyway, it already happened this morning, but he came in and said, "Wow, Steve, you look sunburned." And I happened to be at Pebble Beach over the weekend for the AT&T Pro-Am. I went on Saturday, was only planning on going Saturday, ended up getting tickets for Sunday because I had such a good time on that Saturday, and yesterday caught a little bit of the sun. Is there anything worse than when you go to work or, I don't know, go home, see someone you haven't seen for a couple of days, and the first thing that they mention is, wow, you look sunburned. That's the worst. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I look sunburned. You know why? Because I was out in the sun. Well, why didn't you wear sunscreen? Didn't think to do it. That's my bad. It probably is my fault that I'm getting this reaction from you. But yes, I am sunburned. Thank you very much. little toasty. (laughs) It already happened once, and it's going to happen throughout the day. It's almost the same thing as... it's, It's almost the same thing as like... When someone says, man, you look tired. As a matter of fact, that's the second thing that John Curley mentioned. <laughs> Didn't say, hey, how you doing? Did you have a good weekend? Damn, Steve, you look sunburned. I was like, yeah, man. I was out at Pebble Beach over the weekend. And he's like, yeah, you look tired, too. I could tell. Thanks, John. Thank you so much for that, for that drop-in and commercial break. You just made my morning at 541 a special one. Thank you so much. I did not know that I look sunburnt. And I look tired. I'm sorry. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for informing me about that. <laughs> Good Lord. If you're getting into the if you're getting into your car right now, five forty in the morning, you're probably like, what the hell is going on? All right, let's get to act- some actual sports. I do want to uh get to Mark Scherzer and what he had to say on Twitter regarding Major League Baseball, their lockout, because Major League Baseball tried to bring in a mediator. It didn't work. And Max Scherzer went on Twitter and spoke about it. So I do want to get to that. And Kevin Durant and Stephen A. Smith beefing because Stephen A. brought the Warriors into it. But just to finish off this 49er conversation here. Again, Joel Corey, the salary cap expert for CBS Sports. This is what he had to say about Nick Bosa and his future contract with the 49ers because it's coming up to the end of it. As you as you do as a first-round pick that high, you get a four-year deal, and his four-year deal is coming up in 2024. So right now, he's only making $8 million a year, and at this point... Instead of playing the last year on your rookie contract, you want to try and get an extension before then. It's kind of the same thing with Debo Samuel, except Debo Samuel did pay to, or did play toward the end of his rookie contract. But here's what Joel Corey had to say. Given that he's represented by Brian Irault, who represents uh, Aaron Donald, who's first $20 million per year non-quarterback, and his older brother, Joey, who at one time was the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL, that's an absolute certainty that Nick Bosa will be the first $30 million per year non-quarterback. That's crazy. Well-deserved. Well-deserved. I mean, the market's just going to continue to rise as players come in and everyone gets these extensions. T.J. Watt is making an average of $28 million a year. So that being said, Nick Bosa, the first $30 million per year non-quarterback in the NFL, in NFL's history. And then he talked about a possible holdout for Nick Bosa. You can't dismiss it for a couple of reasons. One, 
does he really want to play another year on his rookie contract, given that he missed the 2020 season? Good point. I'll practice all of it with the torn ACL. Two, his agent has no qualms about holding somebody out. And in addition to the rookie holdout for his older brother, Aaron Donald held out after his third year. He didn't get a contract. Aaron Donald held out um, after his fourth year and finally got paid. So when they give Nick Bosa a contract, I'm not sure how many years it will be, but it will take effect by the time 2024 is over. So you'd have them for 2024, and then you'd have them beyond then. So for you know, if they get a four-year deal, for example, you're going to have them for at least six more years, just because there's still uh, a couple more years to be played out with that rookie contract. And I think he deserves it. I do. Nick Bosa, when you talk about the pecking order for which positions are the most important on an NFL team, I mean, quarterback is always number one, but getting an edge rusher like that, a guy who can wreck a game, I actually think that's well one thing he didn't have this season, which kept him from getting that Defensive Player of the Year award when everyone was talking about it toward the end of the season, and rightfully so, because his sack numbers were, were through the roof, he didn't have that game-wrecking type of game. Like T.J. Watt, for example, had three and a half sacks against Lamar Jackson when, when, he, when he was uh, on the Ravens and wasn't injured. Three and a half sacks on a guy like Lamar Jackson. Nick Bosa didn't have that. He'd have a game with one sack each game and then maybe two, but he didn't exactly wreck a game. Not like that Cleveland game in 2019. Not like that Carolina game where he, in one of the most unbelievable waterboy-type plays, where he intercepted Kyle Allen. Like That was a game-wrecking type of game for Bosa. He didn't have that this season, but he has the capability to do that. So I do think that he's worth the money. But I think this puts the pressure up on the 49ers because I guarantee you, just like his brother, he will not be afraid to hold out for a new contract. He will not. But this also puts the pressure on Trey Lance, I think, to perform through his rookie contract. Now, Trey Lance, his rookie contract goes through 2026. It was a four-year deal. You get a $34 million signing bonus, and you're getting paid an average of $8 million or per year. And excuse me, it's a $43 million guaranteed, uh, and you're getting an average of 8 per year. So that's what Trey Lance is getting up until 2026. But through that time, George Kittle, by the time his contract is up, that'll be 2026. But prior to that... Everyone else's contract is going to be up through out, out through 2025. And by the time his contract is over, the point being, I don't know if this is going to be the same type of team by the time that his rookie contract is up. It's not going to look the same. Guys are going to move on. George Kittle. I mean, his contract expires in 2026, right? And it's crazy. I was just looking at his age and just wanted to be accurate. The dude's few months younger than I am, which is just insane. Uh, but I don't know if he's going to be the same tight end when he's 32 years old. Travis Kelsey right now is 32 years old. I don't know if we're if George Kittle is going to be getting that, if, if the Niners are going to be getting that same production out of Kittle that the Chiefs are getting out of Kelsey, because the Chiefs are just running things through him right now. <laughs> and, and he's still going. I mean, that's something we don't talk about whenever we, we're thinking about tight ends is just the longevity for Kelsey. Remember that top three tight end conversation we used to have? It was Kittle, 
it was Kelsey, and it was Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz, still a good tight end, but not really in that top three category. Now he's been replaced with Darren Waller, and Kelsey is still in the conversation. I don't think we, I don't think we talk enough about that. It's pretty crazy. But I don't know if George Kittle's going to be the same player. Kyle Juszczyk, he's a free agent in 2026. I don't know if he's going to be the same player by the time he's 34 years old. I mean, he's still going to be able to block. I, that, that, that never really goes away. But the pass catching, that ability to run the football, I don't know if that's going to be there anymore. Brandon Ayuk, his contract is going to be up in 2025, the year prior. Eric Armstead, his contract is going to be up the year prior. And, it goes, and the list goes on and on and on. And really what, what I'm getting at is this 49ers team, when they've built this roster around these players, they've proven they could be a playoff team, a Super Bowl team. They've proven they can do that. And it feels like their window right now, it's open for the next three or four years. Really, for the remainder of Trey Lance's rookie contract. It feels like that window's open just enough because Trent Williams is still going to be a free agent or is still going to be on the team by then. George Kittle's still going to be there. Fred Warner, maybe you're going to give him another contract. Uh, Nick Bosa, he's going to get that extension. Maybe Debo Samuel. I don't know what kind of deal they're going to give him. I don't know if it's going to be a three or four year deal. So you're going to have those pieces. And within that time, Who knows if they're going to do enough to get a new contract by the time it's all over. So I think Trey Lance, I mean, you got to be patient with him. I mean, this first year, there's already pressure on him to win. And 49er fans, I'll just say it right now, you got to remain patient with that. you got to. I mean, think of all the Bills fans who were just out on Josh Allen after year two. And then in year three, just leaps and bounds was a better quarterback than who he was those first couple of years. So you do have to be patient with him. But it does feel like this team's window that's proven it could make the playoffs, it's only open for so long. Because my expectation is that Trey Lance is going to play well enough to get another deal. And he'll be with this team even from, from even longer through 2026, even after that. Maybe up until the 2030s. That blows my mind. <laughs> it's 2030s. I can't even think about that right now. But it's going to be a different team by then. It's going to be a different team. And if you have Trey Lance and he plays well enough and he plays like the Josh Allen type, then that window's going to be open for quite a while. You just hope that Trey Lance can turn into that quarterback. That's why I'm saying the pressure is on there now. From the 707, is it me or do you look sunburnt? (laughs) Oh, man. From the 574, Curtin Napa. Trey Lance doesn't need to immediately ball out. He just needs to manage the game as efficiently as Jimmy G did. If he can't do that, the pick was a bust. I agree, Kurt. I'm not saying that he doesn't need to immediately ball out. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all, Kurt. But if he's going to be like Jimmy for these next few years, and kind of like Jimmy, you need to have a good team around you in order to win. Everyone always says he's a winner, he's a winner, he's a winner. Stop throwing that in my face. Trent Williams is 16 and 15. Well, now 16 and 16 as a 40, as a starter for the 49ers. Doesn't mean that he's a bad offensive lineman. I know it's comparing apples to oranges, but quarterback uh, win, wins and losses aren't a quarterback stat. I just think that he needs to show in these next few years... And if you're going to be giving Bosa this deal, and you've already given the, 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 the extensions to players who are going to be around for the next few seasons, 
I do think he needs to show that you can build around him. And, and, and that he can elevate your team just by his play. Even if, you know, some of the positions, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're mediocre at a certain position. Who knows? Very curious to see what Debo Samuel gets, by the way. Very curious. From the 510, you're a hella sunburnt, bro. I'm telling you, there's nothing worse than that. <laughs> there's nothing worse than when someone just comes in right away. Hey, man, you look tired. Oh, also, just to throw salt in the wound, you look sunburnt, too. Did you wear sunscreen, bro? Can't believe Curly just comes in during the commercial break. Just because I had been out for the first time in a while, I'd been outside, and I got sunburnt. Oh, well, it happens. It happens. Where 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 was it here? Uh, let me let me see. There was a there was a text that I'm trying to find here from the four one five. It'd be worse if Curly one day asks a woman how many months, and she said she's not pregnant. Oof, oof. You know what? As we transition here, I want to transition to a little baseball, and there's no way to transition from the story that I'm about to tell right now. But you just reminded me of something four one five. So my cousins, I'm bringing, I'm very self-involved here, and you probably don't care, but whatever. I'm telling you about a little bit about myself here, all right? And uh, my cousins, they were having their second child, and my uh, or my cousin, excuse me, Darren, who's mar- <laughs> he's married to Marta, who joined our family. So not my cousins, but Marta's, you know, an unofficial cousin, you'd say, but. They were going to have their second daughter, and I can't believe I worded it that way. Oh my gosh, I'm just, uh, my head's spinning right now. But Darren did not want to know the gender. Now, the, the, his wife knew. His wife knew the gender, and we all knew the gender, but he didn't. And I wasn't told, hey, you got to keep it a secret. You got to keep it a secret from him. I wasn't told that. So when I saw him for the first time in a very long time, you know, I said, oh, man, congratulations on the baby girl. So happy uh, for you and the wife and just go about my day. And then I find out that everyone had to keep it a secret. He didn't want to know the gender of the child. Oh, boy. And you can imagine I'm still made fun of to this day. That was about six years ago. I'm still made fun of to this day. And it happens. It happens. You, you know, you let it slip sometimes. It, it, it just happens. Just like Curly just coming in and saying, hey, Steven, you look sunburned. And also, you look tired. Pfft. All right, let's get to a little baseball here. Because as we know with the lockout, baseball is not going to be played. And it's looking like that it's going to bleed into spring training. There aren't going to be some spring training games. And, I mean, to be honest, do we really need a month of spring training anyway? I don't think really, I, don't, I mean, I know you want some news about players, transactions, all that stuff, but I mean, you could, you could, you could live if there isn't a half a month of spring training. Now, I, I, I'm personally mad about it, but that's a story for another day. But they brought in a mediator, Major League Baseball did, for their negotiations with the MLB Players Association for the union, and the union rejected the mediator, just someone to come in and smooth things over because clearly their talks are going nowhere. Not a good sign that you got to bring in somebody else. And then Max Scherzer wrote on Twitter, this was on Friday afternoon, so I didn't have time to react to it. Quote, 
We want a system where threshold and penalties don't function as caps, allows younger players to realize more of their market value, makes service time manipulation a thing of the past, and eliminate tanking as a winning strategy. Now, in case you don't know, the reason that baseball, the primary reason baseball's on a lockout right now and the agreement they can't come to is the service time thing. Baseball, you need to have six years of service time before you actually get paid. And teams tend to manipulate that. Chris Bryant is the headliner. You can think about him. And that goes into the whole discussion about why Kyler Murray chose football over baseball. Because you get paid more and and you get paid quicker. Even though there's a possibility in the minor leagues you could get injured and all sorts of things can happen. Right? So I get where he's coming from. But it just feels weird that the guy in Max Scherzer, who's making $43 million and hasn't made less than $10 million for the last eight years, I, I know he was all a part of it, but he ended up getting paid a hell of a lot. I kind of want to hear from somebody who didn't get paid, someone who was truly impacted by this, maybe a lesser player. I know his name carries weight, and when he says that Eliminating tanking as a winning strategy toward the end of his tweet? Eliminate tanking as a winning strategy? There's no salary cap. And the team that he's on will overpay through the roof so that they can get every star on their team and not give any other teams a chance. Any other teams with a lower payroll. That's something I think baseball needs to change. Is I don't know whether it's a, a, a soft salary cap like the NBA has, because that's the difference between the NFL and the NBA. The NFL has a hard salary cap. You have this certain amount of money for your team, boom, go spend it. The NBA... Yeah, you get some. You can overspend, but there's some tax that's involved, and that's what the luxury tax is for the Warriors. And that's why they got to pay so much. I mean, that's why Kelly Oubre's contract, even though it was only worth seventeen million or something, it it really translated into eighty million. But the Dodgers are part of the reason why some of these teams are quote unquote tanking because they just can't outbid those teams, those richer teams. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. I get what he's trying to do. I get what he's trying to do. I, I understand it. And he's trying to speak for the players. And the last time that he tweeted uh, was not only on September 24th when he promoted Indeed.com. That's random. Uh, but the last time that he tweeted before that was June 15th of 2020 when baseball hadn't even come into play yet. So, I, I don't know. I just want to hear from somebody who's truly infected by this instead of Max Scherzer, who's making $43 million a year for the next couple of years in his late 30s. He's set for life. <laughs> He's set for life. Look, man, I just want baseball to end this thing. I do want the season to happen. And while you're at it, just get a shorter season. <laughs> the one thing in 2020 that not a lot of people complained about was the fact that there was a 60-game season. I know that it it it, it resulted in uh, it resulted in playing within the divisions. You know, the West played the West, the Central played the Central, the East played the East, all that. So really, you were seeing the same teams over and over again. But no one was complaining about how short the season was. If they can shorten the season just by, you know, take away 60 games, make it 102. I don't know. I don't know, but baseball, they need to come to a conclusion here. Curtin Napa at Comcast Business Text Line at 888-957-9570. I don't know much about the details about the lockout, but the players are not. if the players are not fighting for their minor leaguers to make more and be in better conditions, then I may never watch baseball again. And those are the people struggling. And guess what? The minor leaguers, they're still playing right now. 
And I'm glad they are, because the issue in 2020 was you took away a season of development for some of these younger guys that were still in the minor leagues. You know, Joey Bart got called up way too soon and might have given Giants fans the wrong impression of him. I mean, there, there's so much that you can that you can dive into uh, with baseball. And you know what? We have 50 seconds here. I wanted to get into this, but I was just going on and on about family stories where I accidentally revealed who the gender of my cousin's baby when he didn't want to know uh, what the gender was. So I did talk about that. But Stephen A. Smith going at KD, and then KD responded because K- Stephen A. is saying, if Golden State's win, if Golden State wins and Brooklyn loses... How we'll be looking at Kevin Durant is you decided to leave Steph for Kyrie. And that's a conversation, I think. But why are we having that conversation in February? If Golden State wins the NBA Finals, which is going to be four months from now, then we're going to look at Kevin Durant's career and his legacy and just think, what was he doing? I understand where Stephen A. was coming from, but it's like, why are you calling out KD now? It just didn't make much sense to me. When I saw that, I was just like, what is happening? But, you know, Stephen A is Stephen A, as we all know. All right. The Morning Roast with Bonte Hill and Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky. They're coming up next. They haven't mentioned that I look sunburnt yet, so shout out to them. But we'll get, uh, the, we got a great show for you coming up from 6 to 9 o'clock. You got me and producer John Curley behind the glass. And as always, go sports. <laughs>